Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 13, starting with verse 1. And the last time we looked at part 1 of the parable of the soils. So the parable understood as an earthly event that Jesus uses to convey a spiritual truth. And there's different symbols to this parable. There's the seed, which is God's word. And, you know, the seed goes out, God's word, and people receive it differently. This morning, I'm sowing seed to you by talking to you about the scripture. Uh, there's the soil. That's the, the heart, the human heart, the receptivity, and what a person does with the seed, with God's word. And then there's the sower. Of course, pre-Christ, it was the prophets sowing God's word in prophecies. And uh, Jesus takes that and, of course, does the ultimate in sowing God's word. After Jesus' departure, he set aside apostles, disciples. He had established the church. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been sowing seed of God's word. And Matthew, excuse me, Mark 4.13, Jesus says to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? Well, you really have to understand the parable to understand all the rest of the parables that he's going to discuss. Why the parables? Some remember that several years ago, I actually was in the Gospel of Matthew, and some of these parables are in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, but I studied the Gospel with respect to the overall book. So there's some things that I'm going to do as I go into the parables that we're going to get much deeper than we did when we just covered the Gospel, because it's something we should know. 25 to 30 percent of Christ's teachings are in the form of parables. So they're extremely important. Um, you know, he left us with these parables for a reason. Why do we believe what we believe? You know, you see situations on the news, you see different ministries arguing about doctrine. How do we know what's right unless we know God's word? So that's why they're so powerful. So we're going to look at the different hearts and how they receive God's word. And again, it's a, it's a study in the human psyche with respect to spiritual things, the human heart, the personality, right? The intellect, how we intellectualize God's word, the will, how we choose God's word, the sensibilities, the emotions, how we feel about God's word, right? All these things come together in the human heart or the personality and how a person decides to accept or reject what they hear. And we ask the question, sure, we can do a study on how people in general respond but how do we respond? Right, so it's important. So last Sunday, I'm not going to go through actually 10 through 17. It's very heavy. And I, when I covered it the first time, we went into it in depth. But if you are just coming here and you didn't get the first sermon, what that's going to do is it's going to throw you off. So what I'm going to do is cover verses 1 through 9 and then continue 18 through 23. So let's jump in. If we could put up the first image of the soils, the different soils. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. 
And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. Verse 18, now he explains it to his disciples and to the hearers who are interested. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So the first heart, right, the cross-section of society, the first type of heart, the first type of individual who hears the word is the seed by the wayside. And if we look over here, we can see this is the seed by the wayside. Nothing's growing here. I'm going to cover that. The problem is that the person doesn't understand initially, Luke adds that the seed was trampled down and Satan and his demons represented by the birds in this allegory snatches away the seed quickly from a person's heart. Now, I'm going to do what Jesus did and I'm going to, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't understand it first. You know, it's to our human understanding, it's confusing because we can't look with human eyes in a human brain. We have to look at this in a spiritual sense. So you'll find that Jesus talks about, and I'm going to do this too. I'm going to talk about seed, and oh, he's talking about something growing. Then I'm going to talk about a person. Then I'm going to go back to something growing. Then I'm going to talk about a person. And he's like, what is he doing? I'm just doing what the Lord's doing. What he's trying to do is gel this earthly story with a spiritual illustration so in our minds, it's, it's one understanding. He's taking us to heaven by showing us something that we can figure out on the earth. He's taking a known to help to explain an unknown. Okay? So doing that on purpose. Kind of reminds me of spring. My wife and I are nature lovers, and on our property we have a whole bunch of birdhouses, a flower garden, a vegetable garden. I mean, they don't look really good right now. In a few months, they'll be beautiful again. Uh, we have a lawn. I'm the grass seed guy. I love grass. You know, that green color. I throw it everywhere. So this is, I live this out every spring. But the wayside, the Greek word means a root, R-O-U-T-E, not R-O-O-T, a root. We could also understand this as the beaten path where nothing grows. Why? Because it's trampled down by foot traffic, animal traffic. Um, it's compacted. And any seed that falls on this hard ground, the birds pick away. Okay? So there's a physical illustration. 
the person who has this type of heart doesn't understand. And again, if you read quickly and you listen to people who hate Christianity, they'll say, well, what a mean God. The person has a learning disability and and God's going to punish them for that. That's not what that means. If you don't understand the word, do you want to understand the word? Right? You know, some of you like my teaching, have counseled you scripturally. You know, I'm not the best out there, but I do my best. Uh, and for those of you that know me, understand that when I was first a Christian, I knew nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. And I read this stuff and I was like ugh, scratching my head, calling my friends at 11 o'clock at night and asking them, what does this mean? I have to know. But that's the thing, I had to know. So over time, the Lord helped me to grow and he let that, that fruit, that God's word, to grow in, in the soil of my heart, which was fertile. And again, that last soil is the best soil, but don't get the wrong impression. It doesn't mean the person's sinless. It just means that they, they want to know more about God, right? The first three soils, the blame or the responsibility is on the hearers. It's not God. This type of person is a hard-hearted person. Now, I've done many funerals and I've gotten comments. I've done a lot of funerals. I've buried friends. It's very sad that that part of ministry... But I've gotten comments, I've gotten looks, I've got, oh, he's talking about Jesus again. Listen, we're all going to end up being carried out the same way. I've got news for you. If the Lord doesn't come back soon, give it 20, 30, 40 years, we're going to be done. And there's going to be funerals for us. This is, this is a reality. Death is a part of life. What better place to talk about salvation and heaven and hope for everyone else, including hopefully the person who was a believer that we're eulogizing, than speaking about Jesus. So uh, you've got, you got hard-hearted people that even at funerals won't open up their heart realizing that someday they're going to be in that position. It's sad. I've said this, this type of person is Teflon-hearted or titanium-hearted. Unfortunately, one day they will find out the truth. Uh, I have a few things I put on the church Facebook wall. One of them was, thank you, Steve, in the back. He sent the link to um, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's about 10 minutes. If you have 10 minutes in your schedule, if you can click on to that, it's powerful. You actually feel bad for the guy who lived his whole life the way he wanted to, and then he dies, and he's in a bad place. You know, it's, it's a heart-wrenching video. It's like, oh, Pastor Joe, you can make me watch something that makes me cry. But it really gives you a, a sense of that this is not the only world. And the, uh, uh, spoiler alert, at the end, the, the brothers are standing over him. He's, he's passed, and they're wondering where he is. But we, we as the viewer, the way they did the cinematography and stuff, you know, he's in a horrible place. And they were speculating where he is because he was a good guy and this and that. And it's something to watch. I have a heart for the lost. I feel bad for the lost. I want them to be saved. When you know the truth, you can't help it, right? And some say, well, I, this person will never change, or I can't change. Not true. In Hosea 10:12, in the Old Testament, God continually pleaded with his people, the Israelites. Oh, we're God's chosen people. But many of them had hard hearts, and they didn't make it. Because they're, they're amazing. They had so much of the accoutrements and the things of God around them, and they still pushed him away. And in Hosea 10.12, he says to his people through the prophet, sow for yourself righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up the hard ground of your hearts. That's interesting. It's like a hard field. 
that a plow comes by and breaks it up and loosens it so that something can grow. Farmers do this all the time. It's time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower salvation upon you. I used more of a a paraphrase version than probably the one that you're seeing. But here's another sad experience is churchy people who have hard hearts. You know, people come to church for various reasons. Any church in America or across the seas, you know, people have different motives for doing different things. For, to some, church is just like a club. It's what we do. Or it makes me feel good about myself. Or, you know, I feel like doing some good deeds or whatever. But there could be, you know, in any, any particular church, there's those that aren't saved. You know, sometimes churchy people, you know, I, I know for me, my wife and I as brand new believers, we were turned off by some churchy people and their hardness and their arrogance. But we stayed not because of them, but we stayed because of the Lord, because we wanted to know, to know more, right? And if you have a, a hard heart, God can break up that ground. You've got to work with them, though. You know, it's, it gave you free will. And I understand a hard life. I know I, I grew up uh, when I was young. My parents got divorced. I didn't see my father a lot. We moved around a lot. It was, I was an enjoyable experience of childhood. Some of you might have had that, but I, I didn't. Then I became a police officer and worked the road for 25 years and saw all kinds of horrible things. And then we took over a church that uh, somebody left in disarray, and that wasn't fun. Um, my, I mean, my wife and I could sit here and, and be bitter and, and have a lemon puss face because of what life dealt me, or I could not let that define me. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to be hard. You know, the Lord is there, and thanks to the Lord, I am different, right? But the first soil, is a, it's, a, it's a hard heart. It's also an, an unprioritizing heart. Oh, I heard the word, oh, I'm really so excited Sunday morning, and then... You know, you go out to lunch, and then you, you go to a friend's house, and then a week goes by, two weeks, three weeks. I was going to ask a question. I completely forgot what I wanted to ask. Is there a priority? Write it down. Do you want to get your questions answered? Get it answered. We'll answer them for you. Now, I want to address tendencies. Understand that the first three types of hearts, these people aren't saved. I got news for you. It's only the fourth type of heart where that person is saved, has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and, and is on the right road to heaven. Um, but I just want to address, because I can't see into people's hearts, only God can. This, this is something I didn't do last time. I want to address tendencies sometimes in the church, a tendency towards this type of heart. Maybe the person is saved, but they have, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder. You know, you ever meet Christians that just, they have a chip on their shoulder. You know, they're moody, they're overly sensitive. And you, you just, other Christians, other people don't want to be around them, right? It's, it's, that's not a good tendency. And quite frankly, they don't really attract people to Christ because look what they're displaying. All right, let's move on to the second heart. The second heart is the seed on stony places. Okay, and if you look just below, you can see some rocks, you could see some um, stones, and you know, you can see like a thin layer of soil. So when we go through this, we know that the, the seed uh, tries to fall on this type of soil, but there's mostly rocks. Um, now, when you take all the uh, Gospels together, uh, it lacks depth, it lacks roots. Luke tells us that it also lacks moisture. And there's temptations and in addition to trials. Matthew focuses more on the trials and the tribulations. 
Uh, Luke says, yes, in addition to that, there's also temptation. Satan will try to get us in one of two ways, with the carrot or the stick, and he'll just flip them back and forth until he gets us off of our game, right? And these temptations and trials are represented by when the sun comes up and scorches what little growth there is. So you can see between the first three soils, there's a gradual progression. It seems like a little bit more is happening, but it's, it's knocked out as, pretty quickly. And the stony places give the appearance that something might grow there, but it doesn't because of all these problems. You know, years ago, I, went, I lived in a house in East Brunswick, and you know, I'm just a lawn guy. My wife laughs at me. You know? The guy across the street always had the most gorgeous lawn, and I used to stop by his house and ask him, how did he do it? And you know, I'd say, I've got this problem. How do I fix it? This guy was like a grass expert. But uh, so every spring I would seed and do my things and um, it would look gorgeous in, this, in the spring. And then the summer would come and there was always this one patch. It was like six foot by four foot. It was a perfect rectangle and it would all turn yellow. So I'm like, you know what, I bet you there's something under there. So I took my shovel, I started digging. Sure enough, like within an inch, inch, I don't know why they did this, the last owner. It was a concrete slab. They must have used it for something, but they stopped using it. And they just threw some dirt over it and planted seed. So I broke up that slab because I didn't need it. Now that nice patch was not yellow every summer. It was green like the rest of the grass. Why? Because the roots were shallow. It couldn't get to, to, to the, the water. You know, the soil was shallow. For all these reasons, I couldn't grow my beautiful grass. You know? <laughs> but, but I fixed that problem. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laughing, and I'm, I'm in a good way, like I'm ex- when I read the Bible, because I'm like, Jesus was such a genius well, he, he was God. He had the mind of God, of course. He could take things that we could see every day and then bring us up and show us heaven based on these, these analogies that he would use. So this person allows the seed to grow a little bit. It's exciting. It's joyous, as everything with God is. But unfortunately, it's short-lived. This person has a shallow root and shallow soil to reflect a person's shallow heart. And... It's sad when somebody is shallow, and you may have friends that are that way, and if you try to broach the subject, they get very offended. You know, shallow people don't really, they can't really see that they're shallow. They think they're the cat's meow, you know, they think that they're something special, but they're shallow. You know, having an attitude or having a certain personality doesn't make you a deep person, right? But the sun is represented by these trials and temptations and the attitude with this type of person is hey man i didn't sign up for this you know i thought when i became a christian everything would be great actually my life is starting to fall apart now right they sort of want god as long as their lifestyle doesn't change they don't have to give up anything and they don't have to change themselves people don't want to change i like routine i don't like to change but every once in a while god you know has to take me to task on some things and i have to change the way I think, change the way I do things. Um, and you get used to it after a while. But a lot of people, they don't want to change, right? And, and these types of people, they don't want to change. And you can see a lot of them, you know, they'll come to church, they get excited, they may even come up to the front. But it's a very short-lived experience. Something goes wrong in their life or in the church, and they're gone. Very transitional. And this is really a big problem in Western culture. I talk to a lot of pastors, friends, even from different denominations, it's a very transition. I've talked about the Northeast. I've talked about New Jersey. I've talked about the hard hearts in here, in, in this area, in this tri-state area. It's the truth. But this type of person is a, they're a mixed bag. They're an emotional hearer, 
And like many emotional experiences, it's short-lived or it's sporadic. Maybe it goes for some time, but it's kind of on and off. Um, you know, some will say, oh, I needed to be more devoted, and they, have this emo they hear a sermon, and they're so emotional, and they even have, can have tears in their eyes, and you give them some practical steps a, a few weeks later, hey, how you doing with that? Oh, it, it doesn't last, right? Do we have deep roots? Folks, are we shallow? Has a American culture caused us to become shallow? You know, what type of friends do we, do we gather? Are they deep or are they shallow too? Do we allow ephemeral emotions to steer our lives? Now let's look at the, the tendencies again. And again, person may be saved but may have some of these tendencies. You know, there's some Christians that they think that coming up to the front is the finish line. It's actually the starting line. It's the start to the rest of your life with a walk with the Lord. But they confuse it with the finish line. Well, I, I made a profession of faith uh, five years ago. I'm good. I'm just kind of chilling, living the American dream. Eventually, one day, I'll die, and I'm good. And that may be true, and some may get into heaven just basically escaping the fire. But where's the, the joy in that? Where's the fulfillment in that? So these tendencies are a person may be shallow. They may be undiscerning. You know? Uh, maybe because they don't really read or they all well, just get it from church or whatever. Um, you know, Jesus said in John 4 that the Father is spirit and he must be worshipped in spirit and truth. And that means that we need to find out the truth about God. Again, you can go from all these different denominations and ministries, they all could tell you 50 different things. Oh, well, it's just the difference that they have. Well, I want to know what the truth is. If I'm going to follow something, I want to know it's based on his word. It's based on worshiping God in truth. And then you have a whole bunch of authors out there, and I've talked to this about this from the pulpit, that will sell you a book so that you could feel really good about God, that your feelings, the emotional part of you, is over-dominant, and the rest of it is suppressed, including discernment. You know, Rob Bell wrote this book, Love Wins. Sounds great. It's a horrible book. William Young, The Shack, some of Joel Osteen's book, T.D. Jakes. A lot of this stuff is, you read it, and you don't even know what you're following in Christianity because there's all kinds of weird stuff in the books. Some of these prosperity teachings, you know, I've talked about this. But people want to feel good about God. Now, The Shack, there's a movie coming out. So let me just tell you a little bit about the author. Here's a guy who, self-admittedly, in his interviews, has serious father issues. And you can see that played out in his book. It's actually quite blasphemous what he, how he speaks about God and how he portrays him. Um, here's a man who committed adultery for three months and then decided after three months he was going to go back to his wife. Maybe he repented. If so, that's great. He also is a universalist, which is not true. Universalist teaches, and you can read it in the book. It's all this garbage and I'll tell you what, 300 pages can cover a lot of garbage. You know, if you take just a little bit of poison and put it in your dinner, the smaller the amount, you may not even taste it, but it may kill you. Okay? I mean, this is my job to come up here and do this. It's only in the Western Christian culture that we make millionaires out of heretics. The biggest heretics have the most money. That's insane. And Christians are giving them their paychecks. Folks, we've got to read the Bible, because that's where the truth is. You know what I'm saying? Universalism, again, reading the book, oh, the scriptures are not important, oh, don't worry about this, don't worry about 
Basically, this guy is a guide that's putting you on the wide road that leads to destruction. Do we care to know the truth or we just want to feel good? Right? There's some things I read in Scripture that I'm like, I, I think about, I don't think about you guys, I think about me. Well, how am I doing in this area? Ow, that stings. Doesn't make me feel good, but it's the truth. Right? This person may not lead people to Christ because of their lack of depth. There's not an attractiveness to Christ because they don't really show that Christ is important. They're not really deep. So why would the unbeliever... You know what's funny? Christians, some Christians have an issue with other Christians. You're judging me. I can say this, that in some situations, our behavior and our manner of living, you don't have to be worried about being judged by Christians. You're going to be judged by the unsaved. You know, the unsaved is going to say, well, isn't this hypocr- it's amazing when I, I see this, this play out? person doesn't know really anything about God, but they somehow have this discernment that they look at a Christian and their lifestyle and they, they say, well, is that really how you're supposed to live? Wow, that's powerful. That is really, we can tell, the unbeliever, they're not bound by the scripture, stop judging me, do whatever they want. They see hypocrisy and they're calling it out. The third heart is the seed among thorns. So you see the wayside, nothing's growing. You see the stony soil, nothing's growing. And all you see is thorns (laughs) in this soil. That's the third heart. What happens here is that the thorns spring up and start choking the fruitfulness of the word. So there's some growth, and you see this. (laughs) My wife wife is a a master gardener, so I'll, I'll ask her about terms because this is perfect, you know. And I said, I think it's called predatory vegetation. She goes, Joe. It's called invasive vegetation, you know. I'm like, but I like the word predatory better. My wife, we, we have a lot of fun together. We have these ridiculous conversations. So, okay, it's invasive vegetation, all right? And I actually have, there was a portion of my, my property that we didn't really do much. There was a lot of weeds, really these nasty vines that grow up with these, they're like hypodermic needles coming out of them, and you just walk through them, they cut your leg. I hate that stuff. I have to ask her after what it's called, but she knows. (laughs) But basically, there was this one little skinny tree. It looked like an undernourished tree, and uh, it was skinny. It had some growth, but it it looked like it was struggling. It wasn't until we pulled apart all the thorns and the weeds and really ripped everything out that we get to see. And I took a picture of it, if we could show that image. So afterwards, and you can see here's the mulch over here. Do you see this spiral going around? Do you see how part of the bark has fattened and lumped up here? Let's show the other picture too, the second one. Okay, You, you you, you see all the scarring? That's from an invasive species of a vine, honey, talk to me. At the end, babe, just critique me on all this stuff. But basically... Uh, it wrapped itself around this little tree and I couldn't see it because there was so much brush. I couldn't see the evil that was going on under the surface. I had to take gloves and start unwrapping this thing off of the tree and you could see, actually, that's, it started to repair itself. But it, it bulged out the, the bark. That's amazing, isn't it? It's like this killer vine that tried to kill my tree. It wasn't very nice. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, I thought of boa, boa constrictor in the, in the vegetable world or the 
horticultural world. Um, and this is what it does. Invasive vegetation, it crowds, it strangulates, and it competes for soil nutrients. Again, I'm reading the, the parable, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, Jesus, I just praise him just by reading the Bible. I just read, and I'm like, boy, he's so smart. But the thorns, what do they represent? They represent the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and Luke adds, the pleasures of life. And this is huge in the United States. And I think that, you know, I suppose that if you go to different churches or different cultures in different parts of the world, you'll see one, one out of the three different. But I would say that the third one here is biggest in this country. And this, this is not an exhaustive list, but so many things to distract people from the things of God. Money, fame, recreation, vacation, education, idolized relationships, technology, the American lifestyle, anything that you can think of that just distracts a person from the things of God. Or it strangles or it chokes them out. And I've often said that you can tell a lot by a person, and we could do this one day, take out our checkbooks, um, go on the credit card statement and see, what do I spend? You know, oh, me, 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 me. Let's look at time. 168 hours in a week. Okay, let's take out 56 hours for sleeping. That leaves 112. Let's take out 40 for a work week. That's 72 hours after sleep, after work, that we have free time. What do we do with it? How much time is spent in prayer, reading God's Word? You know, going to church, Right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to just say this to the guys because I don't mind saying it to the guys, but guys, a ball, a golf ball, a football, a soccer ball, a baseball, uh, a racquetball, a ball. Guys, is, is a ball in the ball game so important? Just put a, a thing on your dresser and put the ball on there and worship it. That's, that's the idol that we make, you know? I'm being funny, but I, I don't get it. I really don't. Many churches in the summertime decide how much parking that is, they're going to need or not need, how many seats they'll need by the weather. If it's July and it's 85 and beautifully sunny, it'll probably be a light service. If it's July and it's somehow 75 degrees and rainy, you'll probably have a good showing that day. Listen, I'm, just, I'm keeping it real. I know a lot of you guys like me because I keep it real. I'm keeping it real. But this is This is reality. This is the distracted heart. This is the material heart. This is the worldly heart. Well, I'm saved. I came up to receive the Lord 10 years ago. I'm good. Wow. This person is made happy by their possessions, by their accomplishments, by any ego inflators that come into their lives. The problem with the other two soils was that they weren't fertile enough. The problem with the third soil is it's too fertile and allows all kinds of junk to incubate into the person's heart. Again, you know, what's important to us? How do we prioritize? And I can tell you, the kids leave the house. They go to the military, they go to college, they start a business. And if you came to the Lord late in life, you know, don't sweat it. What are you going to do? You didn't have that much time. Your kids were already adults. But if your kids grew up in your home and you said this is a Christian home and they leave and they come back and they're not Christians anymore, maybe the problem is they saw in the household that Jesus wasn't prioritized. Kids aren't stupid. Listen, my son back there, he calls me out on my hypocrisy. And, and I accept it. There's times that he, <laughs> he'll, he'll say something to me. And I deserve it. And he's right. They're not stupid. We can't just tell our kids just shut up. 
Sometimes they point out hypocrisy in our lives and that we're not, you know, you know what I'm saying. I don't have to go on and on about it, but... And, and again, honestly, the one who the, the fruitfulness is completely choked out, that person's not saved, okay? But then there's tendencies in the American culture, you know? Is it more about showing off our stuff, what we have? Is it more about that, you know, we made it more than our neighbors did? You know, we, we made a bigger impact in life than our, our, our siblings did. I see this played out. It's materialism. And again, we can be exposed by our own kids. We can be exposed by uh, unbelievers. We don't have to worry about other Christians judging us. And sometimes that conviction of God, we suppress it because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to feel that conviction. Okay, What are we doing with the 72 hours a week? And I'm just going to say this. It's not about coming to church. But for some families, church is the only time that there's ever devotions and prayer. That's, that, that makes us an anemic Western Christian culture. We're sickly. We're anemic. Because honestly, coming to church should be like the, the cherry on top. It should be the whipped cream. You'd be like, wow, maybe Pastor Joe will pull something out of there that I didn't get the first two times I read. That's the dessert. But we need to be doing, listen, I gather my family up. Let's, let's read the scripture. It's my job, guys. Let's read the scripture. Let's, let's pray together. And, and we do that. We do it on a regular basis. Right? Again, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means that we're serious about Jesus. The fourth heart is the ideal heart. This heart is receptive. This heart is willing. This heart is fruitful. Again, it doesn't mean the person's sinless. We keep seeing this idea about fruit. It came up when we covered uh, Matthew 7. It's coming up again. And I've referenced John 15. God is very serious about us producing fruit. And we have one of three choices if we call ourselves believers or just, just a self-introspective uh, look. We're either producing bad fruit, hopefully that's not the case because the bad fruit people don't make it as we saw in the parable or the, the wide road versus the, the thin road, the narrow road. We could be producing good fruit or we could be producing no fruit. And according to John 15, that's not acceptable either. As Christians... We should naturally be producing fruit, right? What is spiritual fruit? Well, it could be soul winning. And you may say, well, Pastor Joe, I, I, could, I would be terrified to go out into a crowd and tell people about the Lord. That's fine. Maybe with your actions, maybe with your lifestyle. Maybe somebody will ask you and it'll just come naturally. Practical holiness, right? Doesn't mean somebody who's holy walks on water. It means they try to be less like the world and more like Jesus, um, generosity. Generosity could be something very quiet. You know, quiet giving. That's a fruit. Um, character. You know, any person who's not a believer and comes to Christ at some point, could be five years, could be ten years, I'm not going to put a time limit on it, but we, we change. Our character has to change because now we're different. It could be works. It could be a witness, right? In verse 23, we see different levels of fruit bearing. And again, this isn't the world, okay? So let's see, I used to run a corporation, and now I'm a Christian, so I want to produce a hundredfold. It's not how it works. Jesus always said, the way the people do it in the world is very different here. You want to be a leader, serve. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, including the traitor, on the night that he was betrayed. He taught us something incredible. 
Jesus was the greatest leader in the world. And I've looked at this quote so many times. It is true. Napoleon conquered a lot. And he would speak about Charlemagne, and he would speak about all these supposedly great leaders that men love. And then he said, and there's Jesus. All these other leaders led by fear and, and intimidation, but Jesus led by love. And at this very hour, Napoleon said, millions of people would give their lives and die for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that Napoleon was a great Christian, but I'm saying that he marveled because he was, a, he was at one point a great leader until he really messed up big time. Um, he marveled at how Jesus was able to command a following by love and service. The world doesn't do it that way. You're not going to find that in the police world. You're not going to find that in the military. You're not going to find that in a Fortune 500 company. But you will find it with Jesus and hopefully a good ministry. Um, Jesus said in John 4 that the fields were white for the harvest in his day. God's just looking for some servants. He's looking for some people because there's a lot of people ready to receive him. In Second Chronicles 16.9, in the Old Testament, he said the eyes of the, the Lord want run to and fro upon the face of the earth, looking to find someone that he can show himself strong on behalf of. So God is always looking for commitment. He's always looking for people to, to receive him. He's always looking for them to, um, to, to work with him. I, I look at it this way. I could be the 30-fold. I could be 10-fold. I don't really care. I just want to bear fruit. Maybe the missionary in a hostile area is the hundred fruit. God bless him. My hat's off to him. You know, giving up everything for the Lord. So, I, we, it's, again, it's not a competition, but you will naturally produce fruit. It's not something that has to be forced. Understand this. The sower and the seed bear no responsibility for the outcome. This lies squarely on the shoulders and on the hearts of the person receiving. You and me, this morning, you're receiving the seed. What are you going to do with it? Get mad. I don't like what he said about this. Look to find... And I, I've seen people like that. I, they're usually a very short discussion because it's just somebody looking for... They want to argue with you. They don't want to be convicted. I don't have time for that. And there's others who really accept it and say, wow, this... You know, they're like enamored with the word. They want to become believers. Or if they are believers, they want to change. They want to grow. This is now the next level in their life, in their growth with the Lord. In the first three soils, we see the seed gets a little further with each medium, and I said that. Um, and some fall away quickly, some take a while to fall away, depending on the temptation, the trial, or, or whatever's going. And I would just say this too, in our culture, it's rife with temptations, with trials, with distractions, and the answer is Jesus Christ and walking with him. If you don't know the, the Lord, you can change. I read Hosea 10, 12. You know what God says? You, I'm, I'm putting that in, in parentheses, but in, in the grammar, he says, you break up the fallow ground. God's talking to his, his hearers. I want to help. I want to plant a seed, but you have some work to do. So if you don't know the Lord, Hosea 12, 10, 12 says that you can amend that soil. You can change. And that's hopeful. Anybody can change. If you do know the Lord and you have some of these tendencies, then maybe it's time to get right with the Lord. Maybe 
you have to ask them in your private time, in your prayer life, Lord, what is it? What can I do? Truthfully, starting with me, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, we're to take this, to receive it, to take an introspective and reflective look and see what changes we can make and how we can act accordingly. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.